grab one up here on the uh, fireplace because we're going to be looking at uh, some scripture tonight and it is always good to uh, look in the scriptures you know the more senses that you get involved with your education when you see it you read it you hear somebody else read it or you even read it out loud oftentimes when I'm studying the scriptures I read it out loud to myself so that I actually hear it not just in my brain but through my ear gate and that just helps me to retain what I am focusing on so just by way of suggestion um, let me ask you a question. Who was here last night? Woo! Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to recap just uh, in a few minutes. And should I use this mic here to... Um, So last night we talked about kind of a, a theological, biblical basis for signs and wonders and uh, why we could expect to see signs and wonders. And it's simply because of the kingdom of God. And um, I just want to kind of recap that to help some of you that were not here. Maybe we're good here, huh? Okay. Testing one, two, three. Fantastic. Thank you very much. This is easier because I have a tendency to talk with my hands. And when I have to hold a mic, then you only hear half the message. So, um, <laughs> um, Last night, let, let me just start out, I didn't even share these verses last night, but um, look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, this is John the Baptist, it says, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then look over at chapter 4. This is after Jesus' baptism, after he uh, experienced 40 days in the wilderness uh, confronting the enemy. Verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, last night we talked about the kingdom of God, and just to understand the terminology here, Matthew uses the terms kingdom of heaven. All the other gospel writers, including all through the epistles and the revelation, use the kingdom of God. They are synonymous. They're the same thing. Matthew's audience was Jewish. And so when you're speaking to Jews, you don't use the term God. It's too holy. It's, you want to show reverence. So you talk about where God is heaven. So that is why we see the kingdom of heaven 
proclaimed all through the book of Matthew, there are four places where he does use the, the kingdom of God, but it's just very rarely because of his audience. And, you know, it is important to know your audience, to speak to your audience in ways that they can understand. Is that true? And I ask for prayer tonight to be sensitive to where you're at so that I can come up with illustrations that are going to connect with you and um, take in the Word of God in a way that really makes sense. So um, be praying for me as we go through this. I drew out uh, an illustration of the kingdom, and I just want to do that again. This illustration, actually, where I saw it was from a guy named George Ladd. He was a professor for many years at Fuller Theological Seminary, and uh, he did a lot of uh, study and writing on the kingdom of God. And um, this just made so much sense to me when I saw him illustrate this. So I'm going to draw a timeline out. So we start with creation, and then something brutal happens, the fall, and we keep going. We have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, we have the Davidic kingdom. We have the prophets. And there was an understanding in the Old Testament that God was going to bring a Messiah, that there was going to be a prophet. In fact, Moses talked about this in Deuteronomy 18. And he said, well, God is going to raise up a prophet. Listen to him. And we see those same words uh, coming out on the Mount of Transfiguration when the Father says to the disciples, remember Peter, James, and John were there? And they said, hey, this is my son. Listen to him. In other words, he was the prophet that was foretold about. He was the coming Messiah. And Messiah simply means anointed one. Christ, the um, Greek terminology for anointed one. So Messiah and Christ are the same terms, only different languages. Okay, But they simply mean anointed one. So there was going to be an anointed one that was going to come. And when he comes, he is going to deliver Israel into a new era. This is the age to come. In fact, it's the kingdom of God. And this is um, the present evil age. Paul uses that language in Galatians 1.4. This present evil age was going to happen until the Messiah comes. Once the Messiah comes, we are going to experience this new kingdom. It is going to be blessed by God. There's going to be unbelievable um, rejoicing in the presence of our God and Father. We see this in uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 2. It speaks about a mountain that is going to grow out. That's the kingdom of God that um, takes care of the uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. If you remember, a rock falls on the feet uh, that were made of clay and uh, iron, and it broke apart, and the statue fell over. 
So the kingdom of God, so this is known as the kingdom of Satan. Jesus even refers to that in Matthew 12 um, when he is accused of casting out demons by the prince of demons. And he says, hey, that doesn't even make sense. You know, if, um, if the kingdom is warring against itself, how is it going to stand? And so he talks about the kingdom of Satan, and there is a clash between the kingdom of God. So the, the um, children of Israel were looking for this Messiah to come to bring us into this age to come. Well, what they didn't recognize in the prophetic realm was that this kingdom didn't stop. The Messiah came, but this kingdom continued on. And so this kind of mixed people up because the, the, even in the New Testament, scriptures were very clear that the, future, that the kingdom is now, but it's also in the future. And so it's like, which one is it? Is it really now the kingdom of God is here, as John the Baptist preached and as Jesus even recognized, but it's not here in its fullness. And so what we recognize is Jesus says, hey, I'm coming back. And that's when I'm going to come back with a scepter in my right hand, and I'm going to rule. And we see the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 say that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's the name, by the way, that's above every name. It's Lord, it's not Jesus, okay? Um, <laughs> just a, a quick little deal. Jesus is a very common name in the New Testament. In fact, I could point out six different Jesuses in the New Testament. It's a common name. The English terminology is Joshua. In fact, when you look at the Septuagint and you look at the book of Joshua, you know what that is in Greek? It's the book of Jesus. Jesus and Joshua are the same name. And so um, when Paul is saying that at the name of Jesus, he's not done. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Isaiah 42, 8 says that my name is the Lord. There is no other name. I'm not going to share my glory with others. So, I'll talk about the relevance of that in a moment. So this, king, this uh, kingdom of Satan continues on until there is going to be a time when Messiah comes back, and we know that as the second coming. So this age to come and this present evil age are running simultaneously. And what we find is that Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to pray the things up here that are in heaven down here. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. God has blessed us. In every, with every spiritual thing in the heavenly places. Well, that's wonderful if they're in the heavenly places, but where do we need them? Here. How do we get them down here? 
We've got all these blessings that are waiting. We've got to get them down here. Paul tells us, set your mind on things above and not on things of this earth. Uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 and following, that we are seated with Christ, where? In the heavenly place. We are seated, we are enthroned with Christ here. Our job is to bring this reality here. And in fact, what we see is Jesus doing that. Jesus was bringing the kingdom of God into reality here on the earth. He set up his kingdom. He has established it. It was inaugurated. In fact, his cross kind of um, finished the work of that. But it has not. It's been inaugurated, but it hasn't been consummated the kingdom of God. So theologians, and the first one that I heard say this, or actually read about it, he talks about the already, not yet, of the kingdom. It's already here, but it's not here in its fullness. And this is the arena where we see signs and wonders happen. Because the kingdom is, is here, um, Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is here. We are the church. The church give testimony to his kingdom. We are, once we come to Christ, we are kingdom people. Kingdom, the Greek word is uh, basilia. And it simply means the reign, the rule of God. It's not a geographical territory. It is simply those who are submitted to the king. Every kingdom has a king. When we see Jesus even talking about the kingdom of Satan, um, he uses, he says, uh, he calls the devil the prince of this world. Three different times, in fact, he uses that language. In fact, prince, archon, is what the Greek term is. It simply means the highest authority in the area. When uh, Satan confronted Jesus in the desert, and he said, hey, um, just fall down and worship me. I've got all these kingdoms. They've been handed over to me, and I can give them to anybody I want to. And Jesus didn't say, that's not true. Those aren't your kingdoms. Yes, they, yes, it is true. He connived those kingdoms away from Adam and Eve, and he is the ruler over those kingdoms. In fact, um, in 1 John 5, 19, the apostle John says that we know that the whole world is under the rulership or under the influence of the devil. So we have to acknowledge that the kingdom of Satan does have a recognized authority here. So he has been granted that authority. We, on the other hand, have also been granted authority. The kingdom of God has come in to deal with the kingdom of Satan. And so there is a battle that is going on. And we have been recruited to be in that battle. We are soldiers of Christ. And so... The kingdom of God is way more powerful than the kingdom of Satan. And we need to know that. 
because we need to walk in the fullness that God wants us to walk in, under his power and under his authority. In the kingdom of Satan, we see sin ruling. In the kingdom of God, righteousness. The kingdom of Satan, evil spirits are running wild. In the kingdom of God, it's the Holy Spirit. In the kingdom of Satan, sickness is part of his deal. In the kingdom of God, it's wholeness. The kingdom of Satan is also referred to as the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of God is referred to as the kingdom of light. The, the final blow that Satan can do is death. That's the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of Satan brings ultimate death. And not just physical death, but spiritual death. Eternal separation from God. The kingdom of God brings life. Not just physical, earthly life, but eternal life. So do you see those contrasts? And we see that all through the New Testament. So when you're reading through the New Testament, understand this kingdom dynamic because it is very, very powerful. Remember when Jesus used the parable, he said the kingdom of God is like a man going out and planting um, his fields and then an enemy comes and plants a bunch of tares in there. And his servants come and say, Lord, should we pull up the tares? And he said, no, no, let them go until the end, and then we'll separate them out. Well, see, that was the idea of the kingdom. There is a lot of mixed stuff here. And that's this arena. This is the church age. Until the second coming, when Christ comes back, then this continues on, and uh, this evil age is over. Revelation 20.10 says that the final uh, deal is where Satan, the false prophet, the beast, all get thrown into the lake of fire and it's done with. But that's Revelation 20.10. That hasn't happened yet. So we are in this battlefront, this battle arena, and we need to know how to deal with this. Um, yesterday, I pointed out, let me just turn here real quick and you can follow along. Um, Luke 9, verses 1 and 2, this is where he, well, let me just read it. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God, and to heal the sick. The kingdom of God was always part of the proclamation. We've got a new king in town. This is the one that we worship. This is the one we serve. And we acknowledge him as our king. Power and authority has been granted to his disciples. It's been granted to, it was granted to his 72, and it's also granted to you and me. And yesterday, just to recap, Power is the ability to act. Authority is the legal right to act. So we have been given a delegated authority. We have the right to um, do what God wants us to do. He's given us that authority to do it. The question is, will we take that up and walk in that authority? 
There's a difference between having authority and walking in the authority. Uh, when our kids were little, we used to have babysitters come over. And we would tell them kind of the same thing. Uh, babysitter was usually a 16-year-old gal. And um, we'd say, now the kids need to go to bed at 8.30. And we'd have all the kids standing there. We have four kids. Now, you listen to her just like they're your parents, okay? We're not here. So we are delegating her authority to deal with you. She's going to put you to bed. You listen to her. And if you don't, you're going to be in trouble when mom and dad get home. Okay? Okay. So we would say that to all the babysitters. Now, let me just say, some babysitters understood that, took it to heart. Some of them were kind of fearful of that. For instance, we'd come home. The kids are up running wild. We're home at 10 o'clock. And it's like, didn't we... Didn't we ask you to put the kids to bed? Well, they were having so much fun. You know, I, I told them that they needed to cut, get to bed, but they wanted to do all this other stuff, so I didn't see any harm in that. I just let them do it. Well, now, see, what the babysitter didn't understand, we've got to deal with that tomorrow, you know? Um, <clears throat> all kinds of craziness comes out of that. Sometimes we would come home, the kids are sound asleep, the babysitter, Said, yep, I got them in bed at 8.30, just like you asked. Um, how did they treat you? Well, it was kind of, uh, you know, uh, they were a handful, but they finally did it. Well, see, that babysitter not only understood that she had authority to act, but she also used some power to accomplish that. The other babysitter just didn't take it serious. Like, eh, no big deal. They both had it. They didn't both put it to use. In the same way, God has given us authority through his son, Jesus Christ. As a Christian, you have been given power and authority. The critical question is, are you going to use it? And what I have found is there are people that are kind of afraid to use it. Or, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to cause any waves. Well, you know, <laughs> Jesus caused all kinds of waves. And his disciples caused all kinds of waves. In the book of Acts, they said, these are the men that have turned the world upside down. How can a pagan Roman Empire within 300 years go from feeding Christians to the lions, burning them at the stake, crucifying them upside down to a Christian realm? Within 300 years, that happened. Here we are in America. 250 years, and we are losing territory. We are losing ground. We are not gaining ground. Every statistic shows that the church in America is in the decline. The, only, the churches that are growing um, are not growing particularly by conversions. They're growing by little churches that are closing their doors and transfer growth. That's the statistics. We're not even keeping up with the population right now. I believe it's because we don't know we're in a war. We're kind of on vacation. We're just kind of enjoying life. And the battle is going on all around us. The enemy um, has captured so many people. And we are supposed to represent God, break through the gates of hell, and rescue those people. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, for 
you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly lived. In other words, they came out of that. They were rescued from that. Well, there's a whole lot of people out there that need rescuing. What I'm committed to doing, and this team uh, that Paul has assembled, is we want to arm you to be dangerous. We want you to be armed and dangerous. All right? And sometimes we don't feel very dangerous. Sometimes we don't even feel armed. But I want to show you that God has given you everything you need to do what you need to do. The power that you have is in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, I've heard for years, um, well, seek the giver, not the gift. Well, I used to believe that until I started reading the Bible. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, earnestly desire spiritual gifts and especially that you may prophesy. Paul's telling us to earnestly desire. It sounds like we're supposed to pray for spiritual gifts. Interesting. I've been told, well, the fruit of the Spirit are way more important than the gifts of the Spirit. Why do we have to choose? Why can't we have both? I think that's what God intended. The fruit of the Spirit are important, and they're supposed to be a foundation for the gifts of the Spirit. We do the gifts of the Spirit in love and compassion, in kindness, with patience. We're to show the love of God as we're moving in the things of the Spirit. And so, the kingdom is here. It's not here in its fullness. But the demonstration that the kingdom of here is in the signs and wonders. And God has given every believer the authority and the power to operate in those gifts. See, I, I kind of picture the church as um, being recruited to go into the army and when you get recruited to go into the army, um, you get issued all of your gifts. You get a gun. In fact, you get a sidearm, you get a rifle, you get a bayonet, you get hand grenades, you get a knife, you get all kinds of weaponry in order to function as a good soldier. Well, see, if the soldier said, well, you know, we don't need these gifts. You know, I, I would just like to be a soldier without these gifts. You're not going to last very long. But here's what happens. See, those gifts come in, in the Holy Spirit. When we come to Christ, where does the Holy Spirit go? Right? In us, right? We are all indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And then there's an empowerment of the Spirit, a filling of the Spirit, that we can see the gifts released. And as we walk in those gifts, it's a beautiful thing. We get to see God do things that we would never see. Um, some of you have heard these illustrations, but they're just kind of, uh, they encapsulate what I'm trying to express. Uh, some time ago, I was in the credit union doing a transaction with a gal uh, sitting behind the desk and just making conversation. I said, what do you got going on this afternoon? She's like, I got to get out of here and go get something to eat. I've got a headache. It's just killing me. And I said, oh, well, you ought to let me pray for you. She's like, oh, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> and I said, no, really. I, I said, you know, God tells us to ask him for things, and um, we could just ask him to take your headache away. 
So eventually, there's nobody else in the credit union at this point, and she's like, okay. And I said, do you mind if I just lay hands on you? And she's like, okay. So I walk around the desk. I said, now, where does it hurt? She said, well, right here on my forehead and right here on my neck. I said, okay. Um, I'm just going to put my hand on your forehead and your neck. Is that okay? Yeah. So now I had, this isn't the first time I've met this gal, okay? She's been uh, servicing, I, I think that was maybe the fourth time that I had been in there. She was kind of new to the credit union. And so I put one hand on her forehead, the other hand on her neck. And typically when I pray for healing, I invite the Holy Spirit to come. You know, he is present everywhere, but I want to make sure that he knows that I welcome him to do what only he can do. And does he, is he the one with the gifts? Yeah. So I invite him to come, and I ask him to manifest healing and wholeness in this gal. So uh, I invite the Spirit to come, and I'm sharing this with you so that you can do this kind of stuff. Because I think this is available for everybody, okay? So I'm going into great detail. I can't have you there with me, but I can tell you how God works. Um, so then I just pause, and I'm praying in tongues under my breath. I don't do it out loud because that kind of freaks people out. But it's connect, I'm connecting with God. Paul tells us that tongues, um, that no man understands it. It's just... Um, between you and God. Only God understands that. So I'm praying in tongues under my breath and asking the Lord, what do I do? What, what, what needs to be done here? And he brings to mind where Jesus was brought to Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law was in the house sick. And the text says that Jesus rebuked the fever. Now a rebuke simply means to say, stop it. Cut it out. Quit it. It's like when you're a little kid and your mom goes, stop that right now. That's a rebuke, okay? So I just said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, see, the name is the Lord, not Jesus, okay? The Lord Jesus Christ. It's like, which Jesus are we talking about? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one we're talking about. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, headache leaves so-and-so right now. I sense I'm done. So I go sit down. I prayed 10 seconds maybe. I sit down, and she's got her head bowed and her eyes closed. Now I'm watching the whole thing to see. I always pray with my eyes open because 80% of communication is nonverbal. When you close your, close your eyes, um, you miss a lot of what's going on. And so you want to see what God's doing. Okay, when I do healing training, it's always about keep your eyes open and watch what God's doing because you can see coloration change in their face. You can see um, their, uh, how they're breathing, the breathing patterns. All those kind of things are telling you what's going on. Anyway, I go back and sit down, and all at once she looks up and she's like, how did you do that? And I said, it wasn't me. <laughs> that was God. He just loves to show his kids how much he loves them. Wow, that's pretty cool. Those are the kind of things that I see in the New Testament. That's the kind of stuff that I see Jesus and the disciples doing. He didn't recruit people to come to church. Oh, come to synagogue and I'll pray for you. 
Now, he did pray for a few people in the synagogue, but most of Jesus' ministry was done out in the streets. It was done in the community, in the workplace, in the neighborhoods. That's where the power of God loves to manifest. That's where God loves to display his glory. Because peop people that come to church get to experience that. And some of you may come out of churches. I came out of a church that never prayed for healing. In fact, we didn't even believe in healing. But um, now I know different. So it's about taking the kingdom. Everywhere you go, the kingdom is there. You have the power and authority to do that, to walk in that, and to be sensitive to the Lord in those kind of things. Turn to Luke, since we're in um, Luke, turn back just one chapter. And um, where did I want to take you here? may have it wrong here. Oh, I'm sorry. It is 7 that I was looking for. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant who his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus. In other words, he heard, hey, this Jesus guy, he's heals people, he does all kinds of cool stuff. So this centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to, to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, he pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation, has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with him. He was not far from the home when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not even deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. See, he sent Jewish representatives thinking, well, maybe Jesus would comply to their request rather than his. He didn't even feel worthy to come, so he sent representatives. And now he recognizes, he's like, you know, I am not even worthy. I don't deserve to have you even come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. The centurion says to Jesus, uh, or through his uh, Jewish representatives, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And now look what he expresses here. For I myself am a man under authority. Now, this centurion, he was over 100 soldiers. It's interesting that he didn't go there. He could have said, I know how this works. I myself am a man over 100 soldiers. He understood something even greater than the people that he was over, but that he was under authority. That's what gave him 
authority. Caesar had his chain of command, and this centurion was down on the chain of command, and he oversaw a hundred soldiers. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was, what does your text say? He, he marveled. Somebody else. He was amazed. Somebody else. Any other translations? Astonished. In Spanish, yes. He was astonished. He was amazed. He was stupefied. What? Now, when Jesus is amazed, do you want to take note of that? How many people have amazed Jesus? Not many. So when Jesus gets amazed, we better look and see what he's amazed about. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following, look what he says. I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. This centurion is a Gentile. He's not even Jewish. And Jesus is saying, he's got greater faith than all of Israel. Now, isn't that amazing in and of itself? Then the men who had been there um, were sent and returned to the house and found the servant well. I think this is a good concept of faith. There's a lot of different concepts of faith given in the New Testament. Here's one of them, understanding that you and I are under authority. You do not have authority unless you are under authority. That means you're in a submissive posture to the Lord. That means you can't be doing your own thing. That means you can't have a proud heart. We looked at the scripture last night, 1 Peter 5. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he will exalt you at the proper time. That's something that we have to do. We have to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. When we do that, he recognizes the authority. So understand, that's about faith, recognizing our authority. Dealing with the demonic. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to give you some scripture basis. Then I'm going to do a little diagram. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us why we don't have to be fearful of the demonic realm. And unfortunately, I hear so many people being fearful. Um, I have the honor to be a guest lecturer up at Bethel University in a class called God, Evil, and Spiritual Warfare. And a gal in there was sharing that uh, she was having some spiritual oppression because she went on a mission trip. She came back and talked to her pastor about that, and the pastor basically chewed her out for going on that mission trip and exposing herself to these demonic uh, entities. 
You should have known better. She was like puzzled. She's in this class where we're teaching about spiritual warfare. I have found pastors, seminary professors, people in high esteem and positions that will not deal with demonic realm stuff because they are fearful of it. They haven't been trained. They don't understand it. They think that Satan is about, God is here and Satan is here. Well, let me tell you, in power, God is way up there. Satan is way down here. Satan is a created being. Um, write down Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, and you will see that he was created. He was a cherub, and he fell. He sinned. There was sin in his heart. Isaiah 14 talks about the five I wills and what he wanted to do. He wanted to take over God's job. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse um, 19, I wish I could expound this a little more. He says that his incomparable great power is for us who believe. In fact, the New American Standard puts it a little more specific that the power of God that is in us who believe going on in the verse, that power is the same as the mighty strength that was exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. So here again, we have this present age and the age to come. The power that is in us, in the Holy Spirit, is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realm, far above all rule and power and authority. And these are all demonically uh, charged names and positions that are being stated here. So the Apostle Paul is telling us that Jesus was above all these other powers. And then, as I stated before, look down at... at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We need to understand our position in Christ so that we can deal with the demonic. The question always comes up, how are we exposed? How do we open ourselves up to the demonic? Can Christians have demons? Yes. Can Christians be tormented by demons? Yes, they can. Here's what this looks like. According to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul says that I hope that you prosper in spirit, soul, and body. So he divides us up into a triunity So 
And we're just going to say body, soul, and spirit. When you receive Christ into your life, Romans 8.16 says that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So I'm going to put a cross in here. The word possession is used in the New Testament in the English. That's not in the Greek. The Greek word is like demonized. In other words, being tormented, being um, subject to demons. It never gives the idea of ownership in that sense. The truth of the matter is, though, every unbeliever is owned by Satan, right? Because they're dead in their transgressions and sins. So there is ownership going on, but with a Christian, we're owned by God. We are in his family. We're children of God. The soul would be, in just a simple sense, we would say it's our intellect, our emotion, and our will. Our thinker, our feeler, and our chooser. Our body, primarily the five senses. We take in information through our five senses, and what happens is we make determinations based on that. I mentioned our, our kids when our son and daughter um, were little tiny. Our son would be playing with a truck. Our little daughter, she was younger, she'd go over and steal his truck and take it over and play with it. And our son, see, he would recognize, hey, that's my truck. Intellectually, he would recognize she just stole something from me. Emotionally, what do you think he was feeling? Anger. Anger. So, between his emotion and his intellect, he needed to make a choice. Now, he made a wrong choice. What do you think he did? <laughs> he went over and bonked her on the head. That's my truck. Boom. <laughs> Took his truck back. All right. So, this is how we, we have to think things, and whatever we think, that causes us to feel things. And when we think and feel certain things, we make choices out of that. If we're fed a bunch of lies, but it feels like the truth, we're going to ch make choices that are not going to be good and helpful. The enemy does this thing to us. What we need to learn how to do, the Spirit of God is the one that wants to communicate to us. And Paul talks about this battle here in Galatians 5.16. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Romans 7 talks about, why do I do the very thing I don't want to do? There's a battle going on. Do you kind of see that? So when we begin to develop our spirit by studying the word of God, by knowing God's desire and truth, that has an uh, a place in here where we begin to make choices that are going to be helpful towards us and towards our spirit. How does a person get demonized? And what happens is either it's through sin, it's either sin done to us or sin that we are doing. We open ourselves up to the enemy. I'm going to use an example and we get we have a breach here. Now notice our spirit 
We're still owned by God. But what it does is this influences our emotion, our intellect, our will, and it can uh, deal with our bodies. In fact, medical doctors say that 70 to 80% of medical conditions are often emotionally, psychologically caused. Stress on the body, things that are going on. I'm going to use um, a classic deal. In fact, um, turn to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 2, starting at verse 10. Let me just read it to you. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there is anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. Now Paul is saying, I'm going to forgive so that Satan doesn't outwit us. Because we're not unaware of his scheme. In other words, we know how Satan works. My thesis is that Paul said this to the church in the first century. He could never say this to the church in the 21st century. We are so ignorant of the Satan's schemes we are caught day and night in his little traps, and we don't even realize it. And here he's using forgiveness. So let's just stay with that theme. Turn over to, to Matthew 18. Jesus does a little teaching on forgiveness, and I think it's important for us to understand this. This can be life-changing. I have seen this change people's lives dramatically. In fact, I work with a therapist. She's been, in, uh, she's been doing counseling for 16 years. I met her four years ago, and I asked her, do you ever do any spiritual warfare in your counseling? And she's like, no, no, I, no way. <laughs> That's scary stuff. Now, she's a Christian. She's a Christian counselor. And I said, you know, I bet you could really help people if you just understood how to apply some basic principles. Really? Like, how? And I would talk to her. Eventually, I said, you know, if you have some patients that you've kind of run into a brick wall, you're not making any progress anymore, get their permission. Have me come in. Tell them you know a pastor that would like to pray with them. And um, we'll just see what happens. So she did that to two different clients. Both of them, dramatic change after that. Um, one of them, she just, uh, I had her, when I'm a guest lecturer over at Bethel, I actually have her come in under my guest lectureship. <laughs> so I have a guest lecture. <laughs> so I lecture for a while, and I say, now here's a therapist that actually uses this. And I have her share stories. But she just shared this back in April uh, in the Bethel class that this gal I actually prayed for about two and a half years ago was cutting herself she was using alcohol, drugs, um, tried to commit suicide so many times. She was in and out of the hospital so many times. Now, she was a believer. She grew up in the church. She got prophetic words that God had a call on her life. And when I talked to her, she was like, yeah, 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 I know that. 
Come to find out, she had been abused severely as a, um, a young child. And her heart was for Jesus, but why did God allow all this stuff to go on? And so she was backing up from God. She couldn't trust God anymore. And I said, you know what? That's the guy you need to run to. You need to come to God because as you back up from God, you're backing more into Satan. And she even acknowledged that. She said, yeah, that's what it feels like. This therapist gave testimony. She has not, and I met with her twice. She has not used drugs, alcohol, tried to commit suicide. She is now functioning in her church. She is ministering to other gals that were in her situation. She was 19 years old when I um, prayed with her. So she's 21 now. Remarkable change. Nobody had thought she had been diagnosed physically by medical doctors, psychologically. What about the spiritual aspect? See, we tend to leave that out. Well, I'm saying that's an important aspect. And it doesn't take care of every situation, but it does take care of some situations. So here's what I'm going to show you what we dealt with that gal in the therapy room. Matthew 18. Starting at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And I think Peter was looking for a compliment. Like, wow, Peter, seven times? That's awesome. Wow, I wish all of our disciples would get that. <laughs> so I think Peter was kind of taken back when Jesus says, no. I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Or some translations read seven times seven. What? Peter's response. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. So he's telling us how the kingdom of God works, how the kingdom of heaven works. It is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to settle a man, settle, settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, Jesus is probably using hyperbole. Okay, this is a story that he's trying to teach a lesson. Hyperbole, he's exaggerating. This guy owed him millions of dollars. He'd never be able to repay it. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The idea is you sell your family into um, slavery, take the money, and that goes against your debt so that you're repaying um, what you borrowed. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Wow, isn't that pretty cool? But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. That's like, you know, maybe a hundred bucks. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he de demanded. He fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, we'll pay it back. But he refused and, and had the man thrown in until he could pay the debt. 
When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. They thought, this is not fair. He just got forgiven millions and millions of dollars, and his servant owes him $100, and he won't have the same pity, the same grace and mercy, so he throws him into jail until he repays the debt. Verse 32, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Now, forgiveness is a financial term. To forgive is actually financial. This parable shows up in Matthew. That's the only gospel that it shows up. And remind me, what was Matthew? A tax collector. You think he knew anything about money? You think when Jesus was teaching, this parable caught his, <laughs> his imagination? I get that one. I understand finances. I know how that works. See, when you loan money and you forgive, what you are doing is you are taking care of the debt yourself. Instead of making that person pay the debt, they owe you how much if you forgive their debt? Nothing. It is taken care of in full. The person that loaned the money now has to take care of that. So it, the balance sheet is still unbalanced. It still has to somehow balance out in the financial wor world. So he has to do something in order to make that happen. And what we see in Christianity is Jesus Christ paid the penalty. Right? First Cor or 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. There is an exchange. He took our sin, we get his righteousness. Whoa. Pretty powerful. Well, Jesus doesn't end this, the parable here. Look at this next verse. I can't even believe this verse is in the Bible. And Jesus even taught it. Look what he says here, verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. What? How is our heavenly Father going to treat us? If we don't forgive somebody... We are going to be turned over to the jailers in order to be tortured. Who do you think the torturers are? I heard the answer right here. Demons. Is that even biblical? Think back Old Testament. King Saul. Jealous. Rebellious. Disobedient. Samuel comes and says, don't you understand that rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. And the text says that there was an evil spirit that came and tormented Saul. An example right there. When we hold unforgiveness in our hearts towards anybody, what we do is we open up an opportunity and the enemy has permission he has authority 
to go in there and deal with us. See, Jesus recognized the authority of Satan. It's not like, sometimes I hear people say, Satan has no authority. Yes, he does. I respect Satan. I do not honor him. I don't worship him, but I do respect him. I understand that he has been allowed to rule this world in his kingdom. The kingdom of God is supposed to be dealing with Satan. And so, here's the question I have. When I um, do ministry with people, I used to wait for words of knowledge, and I was getting so many words of knowledge of unforgiveness, and I'm thinking, oh, this can't be enough. And I would ask the person, is there anybody in your life that you have any unforgiveness towards? The answer, 99.999% is, well, yeah. One time I had a no. I was shocked. I was like, no. I, the guy was actually dying from cancer. And we were, there was a team of us that were praying for him. He was no. Uh, one guy with me, he was like, I think he doesn't understand what you're asking. I think there is unforgiveness. I, he, he told me, I'm getting that word too. The next week, he comes back, and he's like, you know what? I talked to my wife, and I asked her, wife, do I have any unforgiveness for anybody? And she started naming off so many people, and he's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about her. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Aunt Lily, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. So he comes back totally submissive, and we begin to pray for him. That was two years ago. He's still alive. There is something about recognizing the principles of the kingdom. I keep referring to this picture that I drew up here. That's not here anymore. But understand that unforgiveness is a breach. Here's what I want to do for us tonight. I want to give us opportunity to come before the Lord and ask, Lord, is there anyone that has harmed me, that has done something against me, that I have not released to you. See, forgiveness is not for that other person. Forgiveness is for you. You are in bondage in that unforgiveness. Every time that person's name comes up, does it kind of make you angry? And you, yeah, you're in bondage because of that person. When you release them to God, and see, when you say, I forgive you, that means you don't owe me an apology. You don't owe me anything. And you don't even have to tell them that you forgive them. You can. But see, before you and God, that's where the forgiveness happens, to release those people. So well, how do you do that? I lead many people in prayers of forgiveness. In fact, a few months ago, a gal, I was teaching a class on uh, getting past your past. And I noticed that a lady was sitting here to my right in a hoodie, glim and darkness all over her. I asked, Do you, would you like to have some prayer? Yes. So I asked, could I use you as an illustration in front of the class, kind of a guinea pig? She, yeah, that's fine with me. I have been in such a dark place for the last two years when I drive to work I go over a bridge, and every time I do, I think about driving off the bridge. 
I, am, I can't sleep at night. I, am just, I just feel like I'm harassed. I don't know what I'm going to do. Darkest place I've ever been. I said, well, let's just pray. We prayed, um, and then I said, now, is there anybody that, uh, oh, in fact, the question was, what happened two years ago? I went through a horrible divorce. Have you ever forgiven your ex? No. I think you ought to do that. Oh, I can't do that. No, no way. That, he hurt me too much. It was too, too I, I could never do that. So I shared this parable with her. I said, I think you're opening yourself up to demonic torment because you're not forgiving. So it's your choice. Would you like to? Now, see, if you start commanding demons to come out, they know they have a legal right to be there. Don't be telling demons, you have no right to be here unless you know they don't have a right to be here. But oftentimes, they're there because of having legal right to be there. Once we find that out, we need to deal with that. We need to get rid of that legal right. Anger, in the same way, if you look at Ephesians 4. Be angry, yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil a foothold. What? Anger does the same thing. We've got to get rid of that anger. We've got to forgive people. Does that make sense? Don't allow the enemy a place in you. To forgive, so how do you forgive? You say, Lord, I choose, because it is a choice, it is not a feeling, I choose to forgive so-and-so. And then you name them. Four, and then you name the offense. So you're naming the person, you name the offense. Now, I have sat down with people, and I say, you know, write names down. And we sit there and write 75 names. And I just go, one by one, we go through these people. But this guy is freed up. Now, it is amazing how many times, and these are offenses that were done to us. Sometimes we have done sin to others. But here's a place to start. When you are free from others in forgiveness that allows you to bring mercy and God's grace to others. So I want to take just a few moments right now and give you time. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind anybody in your past or maybe it's even in your present right now that you may need to forgive. So this is our ministry time right here. This is an activation time. So here's what I want you to do. Lord, I choose to forgive so-and-so for, and then name the offense, okay? And that may be two or three, it may be ten, and you may have homework to go home tonight and do some more people, but at least we can get started here, okay? Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come right now and to reveal any unforgiveness in our hearts towards anybody or anything. We give you permission right now to search our hearts, search our souls, 
or any unforgiveness or anger or bitterness, any of those things, Lord. As he brings names up, you just go through that exercise. We'll give you a few minutes to do that. I want to just take a moment and break into your prayers. You're doing some really good work here. Um, Nate sensed that some of you may need to release God from some expectations that you have. Now, that's not forgiveness. God has never done anything wrong toward you, so you don't forgive God. Theologically, that's impossible. But you can release him. You've had expectations that you wanted God to do certain things and he did not do that. And so you need to release him from your expectations. See, that's where you're playing God because you know better than God when you do that. 
And so that is a form of pride. And so if you feel distant from God, that could be a reason. Because the scriptures tell us that God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And some of you may need to do that, to acknowledge that you've had expectations that God has not met, and you just come to the place where you say, God, I trust you. You know better than me. Some of you, too, may need to release yourself. That you've had expectations on yourself that you have not met. And you have condemned yourself, and you actually hold that unforgiveness toward yourself. And it would be very important for you to even acknowledge that and release yourself to God. See, that's why we give ourselves to Him. He is the one that we serve. He is the one that we worship, not ourselves. Okay, I'll give you a few moments to deal with that. Lord, we come before you with humble hearts, acknowledging that we serve you. You don't serve us. Thank you that your kingdom is here, that your kingdom is alive and well, and that we can walk with you in this power and authority that you have granted us. Lord, give us discernment to know the difference between your activity and the enemy's activity, between human activity and the enemy's activity. Lord, release those gifts of discernment. Release those gifts of prophetic. Release words of knowledge and words of wisdom, tongues and interpretation of tongues healing, miracles. Lord, we ask for your gracious gifts to be made manifest among your people. 
Uh, we were getting a sense tonight as we were praying um, that we wanted to actually lay hands on those who um, desire to be commissioned, to be released, and um, you have all been granted this power and authority to walk in that. And there is a sense that as we lay our hands on you, that it just is a, a, a sensory um, acknowledgement that you have the permission and the ability, not given by us, but given by God. But we do play a role of coaches. There is a, an authority here that we just want to acknowledge. But we want you to do this as a way of um, grasping this with your heart. And if you're not ready to do that, uh, we want to give you permission not to have to do that. Okay? The one thing that um, I, I have seen people struggle with is the idea of um, they think that if we begin to battle Satan, then we become a target. Well, that's not true. You already are a target. Okay? So if you believe that, you are already under the deception that everything is okay. It's not. When you start to take a stand, you may see some conflict happen, but it's not that it hasn't been there. It's just exposed. It's like when the house inspector comes in and um, he cuts a hole in your wall and notices carpenter ants are eating your house away on the inside. And the inspector says, hey, you got a real problem. And it's like, we didn't have a problem till you showed up. Well, the truth is, their house is going to be in shambles if they don't do something. So it's better to have somebody show up and say what the real issues are. And there's the, here's the real problem, to deal with it now before it gets way out of hand. And so that's what's going on. We're simply drawing back the curtain so that you can see what the enemy does. And as time goes on, um, we'll expose more of what the enemy does. Don't think of demonization as the Gadarene demoniac. And uh, that is demonization. Some of you are familiar with the Exorcist movie. I would recommend not seeing that. But you've heard about it. Um, those things are true. Those things do go on. But the kind of stuff that you deal with, that is so rare that you don't even have to think about that. And there are experts in the area that, that deal with that. Mostly what we deal with and what I deal with on a scale of 1 to 10 are 1, 2s, and 3s. That is really common. That's like this unforgiveness. This is people trying to live their normal lives and dealing with some kind of phobias sometimes that stifle what God wants them to do. Uh, fear of stepping out in faith and trusting God with uh, different things in their life. It holds you back from fulfilling the calling that God has on you. And so that's why this is so important, to be freed up to um, walk in the things that God wants you to walk in. Um, after one of the lectures over at Bethel, uh, a guy came up and um, he started talking about some of the torment. He can't sleep at night, gets night terrors, um, nightmares. And uh, 
different things. Could I pray for him? So I spent a few minutes praying for him. He came back the following week. He's like, man, I am totally different. People at work said, what happened to you? I said, well, I had a God encounter. And I said, well, did you get to talk to anybody about what the Lord was doing? And he's like, no, I, I was kind of scared to do that. And I said, well, you know, you have permission to do that. So he comes back the next week, and he's like, I witnessed to four people. I said, that's really cool. Have you ever done that before? No, I've only been a Christian for six months. Well, see, God had wonderful things for him, but he was stifled from doing that because he was under some demonic oppression. And so that's a one, two, or three on the demon scale, not a nine or ten. And those are the kind of things that I think that you can be freed up to deal with. So we want to have a time to pray and just um, release you as ministers to bring freedom. Yeah, Go ahead. Okay, so us guys, we tend to struggle with our eyes sometimes, with fantasy, with lust. If you looked at pornography, you've opened a door. And if you get these images, you have these dreams that are defiled, and um, you lose control of yourself in that area, that's a good sign that you've you, you got a stronghold. You've opened doors to demonic access into the sexual realm. Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. With our tongues we bless, with our tongues we curse. It says that in James and in the, the Pro Proverbs. I'm combining those two. If your mother and father especially or your brother or sister said you're a loser, you're dumb, you're gay, you're whatever, there's a spiritual power behind those words. They're like fiery darts. And so we need, we need to break the power of those curses. You know, so I'll ask, ask the Lord if I'm ministering to somebody, what are some of these curses that have been released that have really attacked your sense of identity? The other issue is the occult. Okay, so I have a lot of weird spiritual experiences that are not from God. And um, as I was seeking the Lord on this, I had an image of a Freemasonry symbol. Some of you probably heard of Freemasonry. Okay, I didn't know much about my dad's side. I, I went to do some research. I found out my grandfather was like a 33rd degree Mason. That's hi that it's high-level occult stuff when you look into it. And so I had to renounce that. If you've got done astral projection, if you've... Um, dabble in the occult and witchcraft, if you had even fortune tellers and things like that, um, th you would need to formally renounce and repent of those things. Okay, if you have had relationships where people try and control and manipulate you, there's often demonic stuff that goes on with that. Okay, righteous is peace and join the Holy Spirit. Um, the fruit of the Spirit affects our emotions in a good way. The fruit of unholy spirits give us depression, despair, doubt, fear, rejection. One of the worst demons I've, I've ever encountered is rejection. Okay, it seems so simple, but it, this, is, this is really intense stuff. So we need to forgive people for rejecting us, kind of rejecting ourselves, hating ourselves, on and on it goes. So just wanted to give you a brief um, snippet of some of the other ways the enemy attacks us. And we have authority to break all of that stuff. We forgive people. We have authority to break curses in the name of Jesus and replace it with blessing. We break ungodly soul ties and connections with people who have manipulated us, abused us, controlled us, okay? So do we, do we like the idea of saying, hey, God's given me authority over this stuff. I'm not going to be submissive to the darkness anymore. I'm not going to let the enemy beat me down, but I'm going to start beating back, and even on behalf of other people. Does that sound like a good thing? Okay, so if, if that's you... Um, I would like you to stand up now because we're, we're going to just take a stand. And this is saying, I'm a child of the light. I have authority. 
and I'm going to release the kingdom of heaven, and I'm going to displace, displace the kingdom of darkness. And as David already, he, he started to pray for a release of discernment of spirits. Okay, I, I've got that gift. I can see visions of demons. I get words of knowledge and all that kind of stuff. And it used to freak me out. It doesn't so much anymore. It's brought a lot of good fruit into people's lives. Okay, so um, we're going to pray for that in a formal way. And then, again, if anybody wants laying on of hands, to, it, God will impart at times. He imparts gifts through the laying on of hands, a commissioning um, to walk in this power and authority that the Lord has given us over the kingdom of darkness. Okay, so step one, whoever feels comfortable standing up, we're just going to stand up and, and we're just going to declare, Father God, we're going to declare that we are children of God. We are children of the light. We have incomparably great power because Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. And he has all power and authority over all of creation. And he gives us power. He gives us power over the darkness, power over the enemy, power over the lies. Father, we thank you for that power. And we choose in Jesus' name to bear that torch and to bear that authority, to be bearers of the light. And we say that no weapon formed against us will prosper according to the word of God, that we are more than conquerors. And Father, we ask for a release of that, that discernment gift, even as David already asked, Father. We ask, Lord, you have not because you ask not. We ask, Father, for a release of those who will be able to steward this in a way that would be life-giving, to really receive that mantle of discernment of spirits. And I just come against fear right now in the name of Jesus. I come against doubt. I come against shame. I come against that spirit of timidity right now in the name of Jesus because we've been given a spirit of boldness. Thank you, Father God. I pray for boldness to be released tonight. I pray for identity to be released as children of Father God. Children of Father God with dignity, with authority. And God doesn't look at our weaknesses. He looks at who we are in Christ. He says that we're holy, we're righteous, we're more than conquerors. That is the truth. So in Jesus' name, I commission you who receive this. I commission you to stand up in the name of Jesus and the authority of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to oppose the kingdom of darkness, to bring liberation to the lost, to bring liberation to the body of Christ through the casting out and breaking off of demons, through healing, through signs and wonders, through supernatural love and supernatural joy and supernatural peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Bob and David. I want to add something to that. You may have been talking to someone and you sense a heaviness or you sense a darkness. Hasn't that happened before with you where you're talking to someone? You just sense something. You sense something that's not quite right. That's the Spirit in you. That's the Holy Spirit that's giving you something. And so you could ask some question to try to help this person. It could be a close friend of yours. And you say, I just sense something that's not quite right. Is there anything you want to share with me? And they'll share something with you. And then you can say to them, I'm saying this because you have the authority to deal. I'm speaking to all of you now. And by the way, I think it's good if you're not quite ready to stand, it's good for you to wait and to think about it. There's no shame in that for any of you. 
It's good to think about these things. So I'm talking to all of you now that you can cast out demons. I want to bring that down so it doesn't sound so mystical and so strange. Yeah, like, <laughs> oh my, we're dealing with witches and, and hunts. No, you're dealing with authority that's, that God has given you. And so you can do it in a, in a rather natural way. You can do something supernatural naturally. That's what he's going to talk about on Thursday at our pastor's gathering. You might say something. Now, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to say something to what's troubling you. And you can say it quietly. You can say, out right now. Get out. So you have the authority to do that. And what you're doing is you're casting out darkness. You're casting out demons. You may actually sense something happen when you do it. You also might want to ask them, is there anybody that you need to forgive? Because that's probably 50% of the time or more that there's some reason why they're feeling darkness. It may be also that they have dabbled in some sin and that's brought darkness upon. And so rather than saying, hey, have you been messing with pornography? You might say something a little more subtle. Are there any battles that you're fighting and not winning? Then it, yeah, yeah, there are some. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's deal with those. Do you want to? I'll help you deal with them. So what we're trying to do here is just equip you to operate naturally with supernatural things. And to walk in the authority that you've been given. I'm ashamed to say, when I was traveling through Europe, I, uh, I, I got into Greece. And there, there was a, a, a kind of like a little, little platform in the middle. And I just had some fun. I went out in that platform and I started directing traffic. I was directing traffic. People, some people were, were upset with me because they obvious this, this guy from California was, just, I, I was, it was a joke. I, was, I shouldn't have done that. You know, it, I, I kind of laugh now, but I shouldn't have done it because some people laughed at me. I didn't belong there. I didn't have any authority to do what I was doing. But you do. You have authority to do what I just said. And you can do it. Wouldn't that be wonderful if you decided, even tonight, I'm going to be aware of these things now. I'm going to be alert to this, th this power encounter with darkness. You probably experience something of this almost every day if you're, or if, or if you're in places where there are non-Christians that are there, You'll, or Christians. And so you can just say, I think I'll give it a try. I think I'll see what I can do. And the, as you do it, as you step into it, you'll get better in it. And then the Lord will start sending people your way like he does with you. He sends people you, your way. And then when you get really good at it, then when they show up, when, when you are there, they're going to start shrieking like they did with Jesus. He'd walk into a synagogue and people start shrieking. What's going on? The, the demons know they're in for it. This is somebody who's dangerous to them, and they can't handle it. So they just start shrieking out loud. People are wondering what's going on. Well, Jesus knew what was going on, and he'd often muffle them. He'd just shut up. 
Stop it. That's what you do. He'd do it with storms, and he'd do it with demons. So, Father, I pray. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for the way that you want to equip us to deal with things that we know are there, with things that are around us that we haven't felt really comfortable or equipped to do, but we're getting equipped to handle these things. I pray that you'd give my brothers and sisters experiences in the days ahead and that you give them the freedom and the authority to say, I'm going to go for this. I can do this. I pray that you would uh, allow them to heal the sick. One reason why I like to be around Dave is that he is so used to doing this. He had an experience once where he was sitting there and a waitress, uh, she was saying, she wanted to put something down on the table, but there wasn't any room to put it down and she, her hands were burning and she finally just threw it down and oh, oh. And didn't you say right away? What, what did you say? I said, I held out my hand and I said, which hand did you burn? And she put her hand in my hand and said, this one. And I immediately said, pain in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, get out of here. And Listen she, to what he said. <laughs> and she, t she took it back. She said, oh, thank you. Like she was just being polite. And then she went, hey, you healed my hand. She started rubbing it. I said, no, I didn't heal your hand. You did too. No, I didn't. I can't heal anybody's hand. And, and she just looked dumbfounded. And I said, Jesus healed your hand. Oh. So giving glory to God is the point. I want to pray for a lot of people in the days ahead. I want to pray for sick people to get better. I believe God's touching my hand so that I can use it wherever I go to touch people. I want to see demons cast out of people in ways that they might not even see it, but you sense something, and so you want to just love them by bringing healing. Isn't this going to be fun? I mean, it's going to be fun. It's, it's warfare. But we've got the upper hand. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So it's not a fair fight, really. I just wanted to say quickly that a lot of this comes down to who you are. See, a lot of the times, like m for me, a lot of the sins I struggled with, I struggled with because I hated myself. And because I hated myself, I opened myself up to a lot of other things that weren't godly. And I found, other, I found, I found escapism and other things and mostly computer, internet stuff. And, you know, a lot of it comes down to knowing that God does not hate you, that he loves you, that he's your father. And if you don't know that, that could be a lot of the reason you're struggling with a lot of stuff you are because you have no idea how God really sees you. If you have a wrong view of God, you have a wrong view of yourself. And so... Just to know that is important. Good, Leroy. Like your haircut, too. Okay, so some of us, uh, you, you can stick around a little while, Nate. Some of us are going to be uh, around here to pray. And having a prayer from somebody also helps with authority. That's why I started into this whole thing of revivals and these meetings from December. Because a 34-year-old Ugandan who's going to be here speaking tomorrow night, uh, he prayed for me because he had some things that I didn't have, and I wanted it. Hey, I'm 71. He's 34. He's not even half, half as old as I am. And he had something I needed. And so I knelt, and I said, would you pray for me? Just a quiet prayer. It changed my life.
One little prayer, a little prayer, short prayer. So you just go for it. Go for what you can get. Ask for prayer. When I went to Toronto, I would go to one line over here, and then I'd come back out. I'd go way over to the other side because I didn't want them to see that I was there. <laughs> but I'd go over here. I want to get my money's worth because I had to fly there. And I w so I wanted to get as much prayer as I could get. So I kept going back to different places, just wanted to get filled up with prayer. They said, get Carol to pray for you. Get Carol or not. So I made sure I got her a few times. I ended up on the floor once, and I looked over, and my father-in-law, Phil, was lying there. He was next to me. <laughs> okay. So prayer time. If you want to, you can have somebody you can have somebody next to you pray for you. Or you can come up and have somebody up here pray for you. Let's say thank you to Dave for sharing these last two nights. Okay. So, now it's prayer time. And do we want to do the newbie thing? Yeah, we can do the newbie in a couple minutes here. Okay, in a couple minutes if you're new. I'll meet you up in 2 minutes. If you want to have a newbie meeting with me. Yeah, they do.